I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, I'm your host, Simon Wamps here, one of my writers, and in this case, Matt. Thank you, Matt, has written me a script. Beverly Allett, the angel of death. All good. <laughs> Love these ones. It's like, what's this? Oh, yeah, it's just a reminder that whenever you go to hospital, you could be murdered. And it's like, that's the last place that you want to get murdered. And I never thought about it before. And I know, like, like Harold Shipman was mega infamous in the UK, but he was, like, killing old ladies. And I was talking with Matt about this one. It's like, oh, no, it's just a nurse in a hospital. And she's just murdering people. And you're like, that's f***ed up. Can you imagine just chilling out in the hospital? Like, I was in hospital last year. And it's like you're on all sorts of drugs. And you're like, ah, ah, ah. And then they're just like, here's some more drugs. You're like, okay. And then it could just be death. And they're like, it's so... I mean, obviously, I don't want to say it's worse than, like, other murdering. Because, obviously, murder is murder. But when it's... No, it is worse. Like, when it's, like, a parent to a kid or, like, a doctor to a patient, it's like there's that uh, relationship of trust. And it's just, like, that extra violation rather than just, like... There's no relationship of trust between Hitchhiker and Hitchhikey. It's, like, almost... It's, like, well, you kind of expect to get murdered, don't you? Whereas doctor and patient is, like, your doctor should heal you. Not murder you. Jesus. Enough with my pontificating. Let's jump into it. If you're new here, the format of the show is that I've never read this before. We're going to read it together and go on a little exploration. Um, if you like this show, if you like this format, if you like true crime, but a little bit laid back, a little bit nasal, because yes, I have a cold. Um, well, this is the show for you. I constantly have a cold these days because my kids started school. I've had four colds in the last five weeks, six weeks. How is this possible? It's just my life now. It was March the 20th, 1991, when little Paul Crampton, only five months old, was admitted to the children's ward of Grantham and Kestevan Hospital in Lincolnshire in the UK. His parents were worried as he developed a breathing issue, which turned out to be a case of non-serious bronchial infection. He was soon put into the care of Dr. Friedrich Porter and Dr. Charith Nanayakara. Nana Nanayakara. Dr. Charith Nanayakara. Now, dear audience, you're probably wondering, well, Matt... Why the hell are you talking to us about this sick infant? No one's wondering that, Matt. Everyone's like, someone's going to get murdered. Oh, God, please don't let it be the kid. That's what everyone's thinking right now. Um, I get the feeling we're all going to be a bit let down. Doesn't sound too crime-related, does it? Well, if this was in any other case of a child being brought into the hospital with an infection, then you'd be absolutely right. But sadly, that's not the reality we live in. You see, Grantham and Kesteven Hospital at the time was horribly understaffed, so in order to help alleviate this, they hired some folks they probably shouldn't have. Darkness had taken root within the hospital over the last month, and this poor little one was about to come face to face with it. Paul Crampton was only supposed to stay in hospital for about three days as he recovered. Over those few days, he was on the mend, and his folks were ready and happy to take him home. However, that's when things went downhill. On his third day, a certain nurse brought to the attention of the others that Paul was having trouble breathing. It was much worse than that. Paul Crampton could barely breathe, let alone cry. He was cold and clammy, and his complexion had faded to a sickly pale grey. Dr. Nani Akara was alerted immediately, and he, along with the first nurse, diagnosed Paul as hypoglycemic before taking him away to be treated. It didn't take long for him to make a full recovery, but they wanted to keep him for another night, just to be on the safe side. The following day, 
It happened again. Just as things were looking up, the same nurse attended to Paul, and just like the previous day, it wasn't long before he was hypoglycemic all over again. This is one of those things, already there's a pattern. I have a feeling, like, this is like one... Are we, are we doing this yet? Hospitals and businesses and all of this stuff. Computers would be really good at this, right? At ignoring emotional bias of like naturally that, oh, that nurse I like is murdering people. is not something that enters your mind. But a computer will just be like, bloop, bloop, bloop. She, the, you know, this child got sick twice when this nurse was in the room. Um, bing, 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 a little alert system. Like, have we started doing that with computers? Because I feel like that'd be a really good use of computers, just tracking everyone, where everyone goes. And like in, um, like in, it could be used in, in medicines, the obvious one, but I guess also in business and stuff. Be like, yo, okay, so like shops, right? They've often got, you know, staff thefts a thing. And it's like, okay, well, whenever this person's on shift, <laughs> like more goes missing and it's like when it's all lost in the numbers like no one notices but computers be really good at pulling that out right can we start using computers to do this rather than like the that we currently use them for like enough enough twitter and more like tracking nurses and doctors to make sure they're not murdering their patients and people are like that's an invasion of privacy and i'll be like tough <laughs> you don't have to have it on at home you just have to have it on at work and then the, the, the nurses and doctors be like what don't you trust us and the answer is no <laughs> and if you are trustable then you don't need to be worried, do you? It's like with the government spying on us and stuff. It's like, do I find it a bit invasive? Yes. Am I particularly concerned? No, I'm not a fucking terrorist. <laughs> All right. Once more he was rushed into treatment and once more he was stabilized. Now you'd think that perhaps this nurse who was there both times would be looked at with suspicion. The people would wonder if she had anything to do with it. No, because there's too much going on. It's too busy. Maybe she was just on duty at the same time. It's There's no there's no link yet. That, however, didn't happen. And for a third time, this nurse went to check on Paul only for the same thing to happen again. And again, even the third time, you'd just be like, well, you know, maybe it's like he has his lunch, he has his meds, everything at the same time every day. The nurse is on shift the same time every day it could be a reaction to anything like three times with one patient is not enough although i'd like to think that like my big computer big brain system would be like bleep, 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 bleep. it's like do we print out a little card for people to look at yet bleep. no not yet but soon once more paul was brought back from the brink yet the doctors couldn't explain what was going on or paul's high insulin levels and then this computer would be like bleep, bleep, bleep. we've noticed that the insulin levels are low in the store bleep, bleep, bleep. sorry i'll stop at this point, the parents said enough was enough, and they had Paul transferred to another hospital in Nottingham with that same nurse riding with him in the ambulance. In fact, they were grateful to her, believing that she was a hero who saved their little boy time and time again. Their angel of mercy, though, was in fact England's angel of death, and while Paul was lucky to survive her multiple attempts on his life, several others weren't so fortunate. So, who was this depraved and soulless monster who over the course of 459 days took the lives of several children into her hands and on a number of occasions put an end to them? Well, that was Beverly Allen. 59 days. I don't know, man. Like, the ones where it's, like, the kids. Like, I don't know. I've got kids now. Like, it hits different. You're like, oh, sh**. Don't do that. Because, like, adults, we're kind of pieces of sh**, you know? <laughs> Not to be too blunt about it, but it's like, there's a little, you know? It's like everyone's, like, a little bit, like, I don't know. I'm not a perfect person and then you look at kids and you're like they've done they're just they're just little innocent little perfect things they haven't done anything wrong well they, they what they do wrong is they throw their food on the grounds it's like different whereas adults we're like all flawed and all of this stuff and and i don't know <laughs> i've got less sympathy towards even like nice adults being killed but when it's kids you're like no why i'm just a kid from the neighborhood all right
The Girl Who Cried Wolf Beverly Gale Allett was born on October 4, 1968, in Grantham, Lincolnshire, in England. Growing up in the village of Corby Glen, she was one of four children, having two sisters and a brother. Her father worked in a local liquor store, and her mother worked as a school cleaner. Ever since she was a young girl, Beverly Allett had a tendency to overreact. When she was little, it wasn't uncommon to see her putting bandages on herself when she had no physical injury whatsoever, or to put a brace or cast on her arm when there was no break or fracture, sometimes only as much as a sprain or a simple cut on her finger. Yeah, my kid does this, but they're like two. Nearly three. They don't do it as much anymore, actually. They kind of stopped. But any time they got hurt, they'd be like, plaster! Oh, what do you Americans call it? You have a different word for this. Band-Aid. You use the brand for it, which is weird. Band-Aid! But she says, plaster. She's like, plaster! Plaster! And it's like, okay, well, that make you feel better. She's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you give her the plaster and she feels so much better. <laughs> it's just, you can stick it on her clothes. <laughs> like, over the, the, like, on her clothes over her where the injury is. And she'll just be like, that's better. <laughs> is really sweet. But I've got to watch her for now to make sure that she doesn't grow up to be a serial killer nurse. As Beverly got older, this behavior only got worse. She gained weight along with getting needlessly aggressive to the people around her. As she became a teenager, her erratic behavior started to be turned towards doctors. She would constantly be going in with different ailments, wanting their attention. At one point, things got so drastic that Alec was able to convince doctors to operate on her and remove a perfectly fine appendix. I know this is this is a disease called Munchausen's syndrome. Because I, I, did, you, did you guys watch that show, House? Uh, in America, it was called House MD. Because uh, that's another weird thing. Sorry, we're on a double depth of tangent here. Someone with MD after their name in the UK, if you see a business card, it says MD. Or like, you know, MD so-and-so. That means managing director. So it's like people who run companies have like, you know, be like, I am the managing director of this company. Whereas in America, it means like medical doctor or medicini doctor or whatever it is in Latin. We just call our doctors doctor so-and-so. Fun times. Um, I don't even know how I got there. Oh yeah, I know what it's called because there was an episode of House, a show I loved where some woman had Munchausen syndrome or whatever and they were like, get out of here! And then it turns out that she was really sick or something. <laughs> like, oh no, I couldn't have predicted that. <laughs> like, House is a great show, but boy, was it predictable. As someone who's had their appendix removed, I wouldn't wish pain of death of a nearly ruptured appendix on my worst enemy. On top of that, the healing process was purposely slowed when Alec would scratch and pick at the appendix scar, increasing the amount of attention that she'd be receiving. If that sounds like a form of mental condition, it's because it is! It's gonna tell me that it's Munchausen syndrome! Boom! It's a disorder where those affected will either feign or induce conditions in order to get attention and sympathy from doctors. Beverly Allett is a classic case, going so far as to constantly switch doctors in order to not garner suspicion when it came to her constant visits and her parade of new conditions. Whether it was at home, at school, or simply from the doctors at numerous offices she frequented, she wanted all attention and sympathy on her at all times. And soon enough, even that wasn't enough. Soon she started focusing these self-destructive impulses on others. Training to hurt. So, what does one do when they want to inflict harm on others without the chance of getting caught? And I join the police. <laughs> Just joking. Sort of. Why? You take up a career in healthcare, of course. Naturally, that's the logical next step, right? Yes, I didn't think so either. But apparently, Beverly Allett thought that it was just the ticket for her. Yeah, that's a psycho move, Beverly. You psycho. Deciding to become a nurse, she attended Grantham College and commenced training. During this time, she was heavily suspected of smearing feces all over the walls of the nursing home where she was training. Okie dokie. <laughs> what are you up to? If you find yourself smearing feces anywhere, just just pause for a moment and be like, oh my god, I remember listening to that episode of The Casual Criminalist where Simon asked me to check myself if I ever found myself smearing feces. Just be like, what's up? What's up? What, what are you doing? What, what, how did you get to this point that you're smearing feces on the wall? What happens? Should you be this angry? Get some help. <laughs> 
This is, of course, when she wasn't absent from her classes altogether, using the excuse of being sick. Alice had a boyfriend during this time that didn't last that long. Her former partner would later claim that she was often aggressive, deceptive, and manipulative, acting more and more unhinged as time went on. She would cry rape when that wasn't the case, and also faked a pregnancy. A real ray of sunshine, Beverly Allen was. Obvious sarcasm is obvious. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, how long would you last with someone? It's like, what have you done in the bathroom, Beverly? Why is the feces all over the walls? Beverly! Now, I don't know much about the British healthcare system. I'll leave Simon to fill in the blanks. But even with the suspicious behavior, the extremely high rate of her absences, and the fact that she tanked her exams on multiple occasions, she still got a job. Well, I'll tell you, because she passed her exams, like, she might have failed them several times. I failed. I failed one module at university. <laughs> oh, what was it? It was like maths, but they are quantitative techniques. I failed quantitative techniques my first year because, honestly, I didn't really try and had to retake it. <laughs> Oh, look, if you fail, if you, I guess she failed more than this. But the thing is, she got her degree, she got a nursing degree, and she left. And there's, I'm sure, a big demand for nurses. Like, so she's going to get a job because they can't be like, oh, yeah, no, your nursing degree wasn't good enough. Um, because they need nurses and she did pass at 22 years old ali was offered a six-month contract at the grantham and kesterman hospital in lincolnshire in 1991 i get places being short-staffed and in need of employees but how can you possibly be so desperate to hire someone so obviously incompetent and undeserving of such an important position especially in a children's ward um i think that's being a bit overly critical here of the hospital like hindsight's 2020 mate and she had what i'm sure is not a very good degree but she had a degree they need nurses um and i don't know why you think she was so obviously incompetent that only became clear in retrospect maybe she has a good facade like um people murderers often do they put up a good front when needed to at the time of her hiring there was only one other trained nurse during the day shift and another during the night shift probably why they needed another nurse map this probably explains why things went undetected for so long sadly it didn't take long for the darkness to take hold in the hospital right around the time that beverly began making her rounds face of an angel soul of a devil now, this isn't the first time that we've come across evil caregivers on this channel, and it's not even the first time that's happened in the UK, for that matter. Harold Shipman coming up! Dr. Harold Shipman comes to mind. Nevertheless, Alit's actions left a dark stain on the UK health industry that is still felt even to this day. The first incident happened on February the 21st, 1991, when seven-week-old Liam Taylor was admitted to her ward with a chest infection. However, it seems Alit, who had only been working there for about four days at this point, had a trustworthy demeanor and managed to convince Liam's parents that their little one would be safe and sound in her care. The very next day, Alit reported that Liam had some breathing problems in the night, but she managed to stabilize him. It wasn't long before it happened again, and this time it only got worse. All the color drained from the boy as red splotches appeared on his face. Soon Liam went into cardiac arrest and suffered brain damage from a lack of oxygen. He managed to initially survive, but sadly, it was clear that he'd never recover, and he later passed. The angel of death had claimed her first victim, and she was nowhere near done. It was only two weeks later, on March the 5th, when the next patient came into her care. This was the 11-year-old cerebral palsy patient Timothy Hardwick, who was transferred to Ward 4 after he suffered an epileptic fit. Once more, he was left in Alex's care, and once again, things went downhill almost immediately. Shortly after being left alone with the boy, she summoned the emergency resuscitation team. Entering the room, they found Timothy unresponsive. They did everything they could, but it was too late. His epilepsy was blamed for his death, and once again, Beverly Allard wasn't questioned about the incident, being left to resume her duties on the ward, on the, and to comfort the parents on their devastating loss. Yeah. Alice had a tendency to console the parents of these tragedies. That is some next. This is like murdering children when you're a nurse. It's like already 9 out of 10 on the psycho scale. And then it's like 10 out of 10. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. You fucking sick fuck sicko. If this was, if I was those parents, I'd come back 
and I would murder you, allegedly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, fuck that, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have words. I don't have words. I'm not saying... <laughs> nah, I'd murder. I could murder. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just thinking about it more. And I don't like it. But doing these shows, you're like, oh, my God. Like... You put yourself in that. I have to say, like, after recording, I'll often think about these more and it becomes more sad because I feel like I'm not performing. But, like, when I do these, I think about it. I'm like, yeah, no. Yeah, I could go to some pretty dark places. Allegedly. The third victim came in a couple of days before Timothy had arrived. Kaylee Desmond, a one-year-old at the time, arrived on March the 3rd with a chest infection. She was put under Alex's care, and less than a week later, things went from bad to worse. At that time, Kaylee seemed to be recovering well, so much so that she had most likely been discharged and soon sent home. Sound familiar? Then on the fifth day, Kaylee went into cardiac arrest. The crash team was called, and with Alice and her parents at her bedside, Kaylee was able to be brought back. After this mishap, Kaylee's parents transferred their daughter to another hospital in Nottingham, a move that undoubtedly saved their child's life. Upon examination, Kaylee was discovered to have a tiny puncture wound under her armpit, and on top of that, a small air bubble was discovered near the hole. Are you fucking kidding me? If this. We're not even halfway through today's episode, so immediately I'm like. This isn't what gets her discovered. There's an injection mark under her armpit, which is obviously somewhere where you would try to inject someone to hide it. That, and there's also you did a bad job with the injection because there's an air bubble in there. Are you kidding me? Was this enough for an investigation to take place? Of course not, because our world is an awful place and people prove time and time again to have the ability to simply brush things off as insignificant. But we know that this was there, so a doctor on Earth saw this and reported it. Or like it got marked down somehow, because otherwise how would we know about this later? Why is this is the sort of thing that needs to be plugged into my big brain computer system? And they'd be like, okay. And then the computer would be like, blip, blip, blip. How, uh, how old does that puncture wound look, doc? And the doctor would be like, three days. Cool. Where were, well, two days or whatever. Where were they two days ago? They were here. And then it'd be like, blip, blip, blip. And it'll look up previously. It'd be like, arrest Beverly Allett. Right? Come on. Where's my big brain computer? T- tell me we're doing this today, healthcare workers. It was simply thought to be an area of accidental injection and nothing came of it for now. An area of accidental injection. If you're getting accidentally injected with anything in a hospital, that needs to be like very thoroughly investigated. Right? It's like, oh no, I accidentally injected you under your armpit. When have you ever been in hospital had an injection under your armpit? It feels like the sort of thing like a heroin user does to hide their addiction to heroin. Like, what are you up to? The only thing more suspicious would be like injection sites between the toes. I've seen in movies. The angel of death had gotten away with it again. It's here we come full circle to the start of our story as Paul Compton, Paul Crampton, sorry, was the fourth to come under Alex's care and we know what happened to him. Close to death on many occasions, but ultimately spared. The continued cries of children. So, to keep track so far, that's two dead children, two nearly dead, all while under Beverly Allett's care. In a just world, things would have been looked at with more suspicion and the police might have even been called, but this didn't happen, and things only got worse. Bradley Gibson, five years old, was under her care around the same time Paul was, being sent to the ward with pneumonia. The next day, on March the 21st, after Paul was transferred to another hospital, Bradley went into cardiac arrest, once again being discovered by Allett. Once again, he was revived just in time and his blood test revealed that his insulin levels were shockingly high. Big brain computer would be tying that together with that injection site under the armpit and the missing insulin insulin or whatever. Is the missing insulin? I think I just made that up. But like, come on. Yeah, let's tie it all together now. Let's go. Where's my big brain computer? That's what I'm taking away from this episode. We need computers more. Come on. 
like, can't some big brain in like Silicon Valley who works with artificial intelligence get on with this? Please, come on. He stayed in the ward that night, and after another late night visit from Allard, had yet another heart attack. He was stabilized and transferred to Nottingham, just like the other survivors. And once again, Allard was never questioned, never even suspected, and was left to go on about her rounds on the ward, even thought of as being a hero who saved three children. The same day that Bradley had his first heart attack, two-year-old Hick. Uh, Yik Hung Chang, also known as Henry, was admitted to the ward after a pretty bad fall. The next day, Yik turned blue, and you guessed it, Beverly Allett raised the alarm. He was given oxygen, and he recovered, until the next day, when it happened all over again. Once more, he was stabilized, and once more, he was transferred to another hospital with no further incidents, and once more, Allett wasn't suspected, as the attacks were chalked up to a fracture in his skull from his original fall that landed him in the ward in the first place. So far, we have a clear pattern with this case. The woman was being given children to look after, to watch over and help them heal, only for them to end up having cardiac problems. All the while, this nurse cries out for nurses and doctors, sometimes just in time and other times too late. And yet, they still didn't see anything untoward going on. And again, I, I, I don't... I think there should be better, like, checks and balances in place, but there's clearly not, and I don't think like without a system to identify this stuff to just rely on the other staff to report stuff is really unrealistic because they only see a small picture of it like one nurse on duty and then so maybe her shift overlaps with two doctors another nurse an administrator several patients and all of these people see individual things but there's no bigger picture and that's why we need like systems to be able to identify problems like this i don't think like the hospital or the other staff are at any fault here and i mean there's this like relationship of trust which i think after shipman was like heavily shaken in the uk like there was a big change after um shipman was discovered that they started doing all of these like appraisals of doctors every year to make sure that then you know not murdering their patients and that just like damaged that not damaged or like woke people up to the fact that you know doctors and nurses and stuff shouldn't be just blanket trusted that they, they should be you know assessed uh, this was going on before shipman much before so or during i guess because it went on for so long with shipman right um so but i mean it was much before his discovery so i guess we can't you know there wasn't the systems that i hope are in place today i'd be fascinated if anyone medical is listening to this in the uk and, and comments below i probably sound very ignorant maybe all these systems are now in place watching and writing for true crime videos i've noticed that in many cases one incident one attack one evil that sticks out more than the others and sadly we've reached that point now on april the 1st 1991 two-month-old becky phillips was admitted to the ward after she was diagnosed with gastroenteritis while under Alex's care she raised the alarm that becky was hyperglycemic and cold to the touch no cause was found and for some reason becky was sent home with her mother two nights later becky cried out in pain wailing with no way of letting those who loved her know what was wrong how old was she two months old yeah i mean it's way too young the doctor was summoned but he was unable to determine the cause believing perhaps she had colic then observed by her heartbreaking parents throughout the night little, Be little becky cried and cried until she cried no more after the tragic passing of becky her twin sister katie was also admitted to the children's ward as a precaution if anyone feels a cold lump of dread in their stomach right now that's because beverly allen was once more given charge over the infant in no time Alec was calling for the resuscitation team to katie's room as she had stopped breathing while nursing in Alec's arms that's right she didn't waste any time on trying to kill this little girl mere days after doing the same to her twin katie was revived but two days later it happened again and when the team managed to bring her back it was discovered that five of her ribs had been broken and one of her lungs had collapsed that is just you're going from like and i don't you don't want to like 
say one is worse than the other but like you're going from like injecting insulin to causing these hyperglycemia or whatever or hyperglycemia i don't know whatever to like that is proper physical trauma I don't like that. After this, she was transferred to another hospital in Nottingham, but the damage had already been done. Due to an extreme case of oxygen deprivation, Katie Phillips, only two months of age, had incurred permanent brain damage, partial paralysis, and partial blindness. Her life changed forever. All because of an intentional overdose of insulin and potassium. And also, like, proper physical violence. That's so wrong. And you know what else? Sue Phillips, Katie's mother, was at the time grateful to Alec for saving her daughter's life. So grateful that she asked Alec to be Katie's godmother. One shot too many. Sadly, there's one more little detail that needs to be talked about to complete this map of murder, but it would also be the one straw that finally broke the camel's back. After what happened to the Phillips girls, there were at least four more occurrences where patients had complications while under Alec's care. Michael Davidson, Christopher Peasgood, Christopher King, and Patrick Alstone. I couldn't find any real information on their cases, as the others are documented in much greater detail. Soon after, several members of the nursing staff, along with doctors such as Dr. Nani Akara, started to get suspicious that so many children either died or had gotten uncomfortably close to it, or while Alec was on duty. Yeah, okay. So, I guess this is the point. There's that tipping point where people realize. Someone's like, wait a second. There's enough information. And I guess that's the point where this happens. And it's happen it happens alarmingly late. Unfortunately, suspicions apparently weren't enough to keep a nurse from the hospital, though, as she was allowed to keep working and another child was lost because of it. When a doctor or a nurse raises concern about another doctor or nurse that they could be, like, killing their patients, how about paid leave? Like, I'm not saying we have to like ruin their career or anything like that because it could be that they're entirely innocent. Probably 99% of the time it is and they're just having an unfortunate statistical run or they're just not very good. But just in case, how about just the rule is we suspend them with pay while we launch an investigation. That would seem very sensible, medical world. Because I don't think doctors and nurses are particularly inclined to go around accusing other doctors and nurses of murder. So why don't we take that a little bit serious claire peck only 15 months old was brought to the hospital and assigned to the ward on april the 22nd 1991 after suffering a bad asthma attack she was put on a ventilator and things were looking good but she was left alone with beverly allett so that didn't last long ally was only with her for a few minutes but it was enough claire had a heart attack and even though she was able to be revived it wasn't for long that same day claire another one once more after being alone with alice and she passed away the angel of death had struck once more at another young life it was snuffed out now i'm not a parent but I can only imagine the utter heartbreak and agony of all these parents in the ward who had to watch helplessly as their child slipped away before their eyes. These parents trusted the hospital. They trusted Beverly Allett to watch over and protect their children, and instead she stole them away without a second thought. I know several folks with young children, including you, Simon, and I've been around young ones at many points in my life. They don't deserve that. They've done nothing wrong. And yet people like Allett take their lives into their hands, like they're mere playthings. If there's a silver lining to any of this, it's that Claire Peck was the final one, the one that caused the silent reign of terror of the Angel of Death to come to a screeching halt. Dr. Nani Akara, Dr. Porter, and the senior nursing manager all got together after the death of Claire Peck, and after conversing amongst themselves, they came to the agreement that something was terribly wrong. Looking through all the cases of suspicious deaths, Dr. Nani Akara put together a report and sent to the unit general manager, expressing their worry and pleading for help. Yeah, okay, this has got... If this doesn't get anyone's attention, I'm going to be like, that is... Like, I don't know, I've been pretty defensive of the the hospital and the other staff on the ward so far but if this gets ignored 
then it's like, yo, the doctors and nurses have got together to say that there another nurse is murdering people or like something's very wrong. Please take this seriously. Soon after, tests were done on the blood of Claire Peck, showing once again she had abnormal amounts of potassium in her system at the time of her death, after which the police were finally called. Let's go! Her body was exhumed during a proper autopsy. Lignocaine, a substance used to help adults during cardiac arrest, was found in her system. Police Superintendent Stuart Clifton was given charge over the investigation and looking into each and every one of the cases over the last several months, he was quickly under the impression that foul play was indeed involved in the deaths and attacks of these children. I sometimes feel maybe hospitals, like, like places where there's a power difference and a dif big difference in, like, um, care. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking um, hospitals, prisons, like, doctors to patients, prison guards to prisoners. Like, that situation where it's, like, someone's in charge of you. Um... I guess the military. I think of the military, and then you, but you, with the military, you have the military police, right? Who are responsible for policing the military. I feel like hospitals should have a detective. They should have like hospital detective, who's just uh, you know pottering around. He's not your friend. He's like HR, <laughs> except for crimes, and he just potters around. Maybe he does several hospitals, and he just looks at things. Maybe he's a, he's he's a veteran detective. Maybe he does it in his retirement. Like, after he's retired, he consults. And he goes around hospitals, and he just looks at the paperwork, and he looks for patterns, because that's what he's done his whole life. And he just has a little look-see, and he's like, that looks a little bit fishy. And he looks into it. He's, he's pretty relaxed, and then he finds what's going on. And the same thing for prisons. Like, okay, well, like, you know, and about prisoner abuse and all of this stuff. And he just, like, potters round. He just looks at the paperwork. In his spare time, he takes it home. He has a cup of coffee. Just why not? Why not have some, like you know just a little extra look-see when interviewed for the popular true crime show world's most evil killers clifton stated in the early stages of the investigation parents certainly had an attitude that suggested the police should not be interfering with an investigation of this type i think it's fair to say as the teams began to investigate the circumstances and they became more and more aware of the circumstances surrounding the collapse of their child they became more and more on board yeah of course you can see this natural progression because it's like, whoa, whoa, police, why are you involved? Like, my kid it was, like, sick in the hospital. I'm sure it's a mistake. My nurse, the nurse wouldn't. Because it's unbelievable. It's like, of course you're not going to believe it. And then it's like, the police are like, yeah, well, actually. And you're like, oh, my God. Get her in prison right now. Diving deep into the case, Clifton noted two clear consistencies. First, high levels of insulin in every child that had died in the last few months, including immediate results from those who survived. And second, and most obvious, that Beverly Allett was present and accounted for during every single incident. Hell, she was the one to get the attention of fellow staff in the first place in every case. Further, the key to the insulin fridge was reported missing a couple of months previously. No surprise as to who the last person who had reportedly had the key was. Yeah, it was her. I told you there's the missing insulin. <laughs> On top of that, nursing logs that covered around 25 previous suspicious events at the hospital were also missing. Uh-oh, you're stealing that. <laughs> well, this is the advice I always, like a casual criminalist, is like, yeah, 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 destroying evidence is a crime. But if your other crime is the murder of children, destroy that evidence. <laughs> Not legal advice, just saying. <laughs> To say it seemed like a slam dunk for investigators is a massive understatement. We've several children either dead or close under Alex's care. You've massive amounts of insulin and at times potassium in their systems that could easily be the cause of their deaths, lingering signs of injections in areas designed to go unnoticed to the untrained eye, and the key to the insulin fridge is missing along with multiple reports of suspicious activity. As stated before, how this went unnoticed and unreported until then is beyond me. It's not beyond me, Matt. It's not beyond me. 
I think this is like, yeah. You, well, I've explained my position before. You've explained yours. We're just on different pages. The slam dunk or not, Clifton and the rest of the police wanted to do this right. Word had already gotten out to the media that a police investigation was taking place at Grantham and Kestivan Hospital, so it wasn't exactly a secret. They wanted to have all their ducks in a row before formally charging anyone as something of this magnitude couldn't afford any investigation or missteps. It took them until November of 1991, but in the end, the Bobbies took Beverly Allett into custody on the charge of murder, as well as attempted murder, and grievous bodily harm. Finally. Fall from Grace. If anyone thought that being caught like a kid with a hand in the cookie jar would phase Beverly Allett, well, I'm sorry to say that that wasn't the case. You know, no, I'm not surprised. Again, like, she's a psycho. They're gonna be like, you're under arrest. It's like, oh, I am, am I? It's like, it's like the classic, like almost movie level fucking psycho. She remained calm and collected the entire time she was in custody as if this was just another day at the office. She was cordial, easygoing and pleasant with the officers and listened to all of their questions, but still denied everything, no matter how large the mountain of evidence. Even after the cops searched her home and found all the missing log, log reports, she stuck to her guns. What are you doing keeping those in your home? <laughs> it's just like, what are you doing? At some point, you you the net is closing in. You're like, ah, uh, shall I burn these? Nah, nah, it's good. Don't, don't, no need to burn that evidence. Let's just leave it around because it's even more incriminating when it's in your home. Jesus, you're collecting it for the police in a way. What's wrong with you? And on top of all of that, she stood her ground on the idea that regardless of how it might look, all she ever did was try to help those children. It was around this time that the police looked further into Alice's past, including all of her odd behavior and her obsession with, with hospitals and attention. Clearly Munchausen's, correct? Well, yes, but there's more to it than that, especially when looking at the crimes that she was charged with. This is a woman who sought attention more than anything else, wanting to be looked at as a victim, or in this case, a hero. This wasn't just Munchausen's, but also Munchausen's by proxy, a mental disorder similar to baseline Munchausen's, but in this case, it involves the sufferer taking on the role of receiving pity, praise, but above all else, simple attention. Unfortunately, it's not uncommon to have both strains of Munchausen's at the same time, and sadly, this time, it led to the unneeded deaths of four innocent kids. Yeah, I didn't realize Munchausen's was also, like, I thought it was just attention from doctors, but it's also attention to, like, being made to look like a hero. Wow, okay, that's, uh, yeah, there's some psycho shit going on right there. Like, okay, sure, you got Munchausen's, just, just be a normal Munchausen's, be like, I'm a look doctor, I hurt my thumb, oh, please help. But this is like, don't take, don't, you just, what's wrong with you? Regardless, no matter what the police brought forth and no matter how many psychological evaluations were done, Alet never admitted to her crimes and didn't seem to care in the slightest for anything that was going on. In her mind, she had done nothing wrong, even when she'd done perhaps the most unforgivable thing that one could imagine. She was charged with four counts of murder, 11 counts of attempted murder, and 11 counts of causing grievous bodily harm. Even as her own trial was getting underway, Alet seemed determined to make a grade A nuisance of herself. While in custody, Alet lost a tremendous amount of weight, about seven pounds to be precise and she was diagnosed with anorexia her tactics caused the trial to be delayed but it would soon be well underway anyway although she only managed to attend 16 days of the two-month trial all because she was sick the prosecutors got to work on proving their case and to be fair they did a bang-up job the evidence was clear with her being present for each of the attacks the high levels of insulin potassium and various injections and puncture marks on each victim and it was even proven that she used physical means to harm each victim such as trying to smother them or even squeeze them four broken ribs and a collapsed lung that's more than like a squeeze that is a crushing blow her mental conditions were also brought up 
and experts in the field believed that she could never be cured of her afflictions. It had simply developed and festered in her mind for far too long, and the best thing to be done was to remove her from society altogether, in order for her to no longer be a danger to herself or others. In regards to Alec, Justice Latham had this to say, I have to say that I regard the determination of the minimum periods in a case such as the present, and fortunately cases as extreme as this are rare, as a difficult task. Once it is accepted that the offender was suffering from mental disorder, either difficult ethical and indeed philosophical questions arise as to the degree to which responsibility for the offences in question should be regarded as diminished. Um, I don't know, mate. In this one, it's like, okay, so she had, uh, she had Munchausen's she is not diminished responsibility she knows what she's doing i found that there is an element of sadism in ms allett's conduct and her offending but that sadism is itself if not the result certainly a manifestation of a mental disorder and it would be unduly simplistic to treat it in the same way as one would if the offender were mentally well by her actions what should have been a place of safety for its patients became not just a place of danger but if not a killing field something close to it the entire time whenever she could be bothered to actually show up. Alec simply seemed unfazed about the whole thing. It seemed that in her mind, not only had she done nothing wrong, but she firmly believed that the parents of the children she had attacked would still be by her side during the whole thing. They had gotten fairly close, as previously stated, and she truly thought that they would believe her and stick by her. She'd even go so far as to look back at them, where they were seated, and smile as sweetly as she could. Yeah, this is all well and good. It's like, okay, like at first the police, the, the, the parents were like, oh, do we really need a police investigation? I think that's like unnecessary to be in like, okay, there's loads of evidence and she murdered my child. So uh, life in prison forever. Throw away the key. Yes, please. This is the UK. So there's no, uh, there's no old Sparky to whip out for her. It was all for naught though, as no matter how sweet she had tried to appear, no matter how loudly she attested that she had only tried to help the little ones, the judge and jury didn't have it. On May the 23rd, 1993, Beverly Allen was sentenced to 13 life sentences for both murder and attempted murder. At the time, this marked the most life sentences doled out to women. She's still alive to this day, serving out her sentence at Rampton Secure Hospital in Nottinghamshire. Yeah, good. Um, and this is the UK. We're not like, like, there are some European countries where it's ours a maximum amount of time that someone can go to prison for. No, no, no. The UK, 13 life sentences. Those, uh, like, consecutively, those are just stacking up. You're in prison forever. You'll never leave in prison. Good. You deserve to die in prison. Wrap up. And that concludes our tale for today. A tale of a woman who wanted nothing more than to be the center of everyone's universe and would not only harm herself to various degrees in order to get it, but would steal the lives of innocent children and forever damage the lives of many more. This is perhaps one of the most difficult cases I've had to cover for this channel, and that says a lot given what I've researched. Trust me, Simon, you'll be receiving my therapy bill in the mail shortly. <laughs> This is, I don't know. I mean, these like kid ones, it's just not, it's just not right. In all seriousness, this one will stick with me for a while. The fact that, mental condition or not, this woman was able to look at the poor sweet faces of these children and proceed to do what she did without any hint of sorrow or remorse, it shows that she truly is a heartless monster, that she had no soul, and that nothing matters but her own needs. And for anyone who wants to use the mental health defense when it comes to her, I counter with this. She chose to be a nurse. She sought out that career path, one that takes a good bit of time and work to accomplish. Was she unbelievably unfit for the position? Yes, absolutely, but that's not what we're talking about here. This evil woman of her own free will chose to become a nurse, knowing full well her intentions, knowing full well that before all was said and done, there would be the bodies of the dead. 
laid at her feet. And even if she didn't fully intend to kill anyone, she had every intention to harm them so badly that she would be the center of attention in trying to be the hero nurse, the nurse who would save her patients just in the nick of time. And even when she was hired for the children's ward, her plan didn't waver. Four dead children, and several more almost killed, with some changed for life, all by her hand. All for a selfish need for attention. For now, I once more ask that we remember the victims, both living and dead, because they're the ones that matter. The dead. Liam Taylor, Timothy Hardwick, Becky Phillips, Claire Peck, and the living. Kaylee Desmond, Paul Crampton, Bradley Gibson, Yekung Chang, Katie Phillips, Michael Davidson, Christopher Peasgood, Christopher King, Patrick Elstone. This is your story, and you deserve to be remembered, not her. So as we exit the darkness once more and settle ourselves back in the light, if there's one thing I can take from all of this is that if I ever travel to the UK, I'm never going to get sick <laughs> between Shipman and Alex. I might just never set foot in a hospital again. And that is where we end today's episode. Quite glad of it. Not a particularly long one, which is uh, nice when we're talking about nurses killing children, to be honest. So that's where we're going to wrap it up. Thank you for uh, thank you for being here. If you enjoyed, in uh, quotations. Uh, the show please consider leaving it a review and uh, if you're listening as a podcast if you're on youtube subscribe like and i'll see you next time seeking the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.